So uh, it was great to see that video of the picnic. Um, it was great to see a bunch of games. I did notice that uh, how many people are, are game players? People like to play different types of games, okay? So one of the games that my family enjoys playing, um, know, we used to play it a while ago, is a game called Taboo. And the way that Taboo works is they give you a card, and on that card it has something you need to describe, and, but there's a list of words you cannot use to describe that. So for example, if I'm trying to describe the word pen, it might have the word ink, it have, might have the word paper, and so if you use any of those words, kind of you get ain't, okay, and, and then you, you don't get that point, but if you're able to describe the word without using the Taboo words, you get the point. So, but it's interesting that taboo game actually comes from a concept in our culture where there are things in our culture that we consider taboo, things that uh, we really shouldn't be talking about, okay? So um, I want you to just think in your mind right now some of those topics that you think are taboo in our culture. Um, don't necessarily say them out loud just yet. We don't want to start causing some controversy this morning. We really focus on unity. But uh, certain studies have reinforced the long-standing understanding that talking about money is one of the most taboo subjects in our culture. Uh, these studies share that the opinions of all sorts of topics these days are being expressed regularly, um, maybe even too much, except when it comes to money. Personal income, wealth, debt, and financial topics remain very taboo. They, these studies show that people are more comfortable talking about their marital problems, their mental health, their alcohol and drug addiction, their political views, or even their sex life than talk about money. We see that this lack of frank talk about money is actually holding people back, holding us back. So today we're setting aside some time to talking about getting smart with our finances, using the wisdom that God has given us in his word, mostly from the book of Proverbs, which we've been studying together this summer. So the big idea for today is that God provides us with wisdom about money, or particularly about our finances, that it helps us see our finances as a gift from him, which we're to be good stewards of in ways that bring glory to him. We're to have a view of God as the one who gives us our finances and actually gives us more than we need so we can be generous with others. And lastly, we see that God also gives us guidance around how to use our money and manage it to be able to be fully successful in our lives. So let me share a little bit why this is so important. Some of you, there's one other study that shows that over half the people you know do not sit down and regularly ever talk about or look at their finances. And one out of three people say that money is the largest source of conflict in the relationship they have with other people. So, um, you know, some of you right now, like, I want to encourage you to have, after today, to start having some conversations about finances. Now, if you are having them, hopefully those give you some more input to those conversations and insights. Um, doing so will help you better manage your finances, but will also reduce your stress around finances, improve your well-being, which will improve your relationships and even your personal health. So some of you have already started to shut down right now. Money is a topic that makes you feel awkward. You find it boring, complicated. So as a result, I wore a very bright green shirt that you can wonder, is it really have batteries or not? Uh, to try to keep you mildly engaged as we talk about money. So um, it's not it's going to be as boring or as awkward or as complicated as you think. Um, it's actually going to be quite interesting because some of the things I'm going to share, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I never knew. I never knew that. I didn't know that. So that's what I want you to be on the lookout for. So if you find money to be boring, complicated, awkward, I want you to look for I never knew those. And for those of you who find money interesting, hopefully we have some insights to offer you today. 
So one of the things that you might not know is that the topic of finances is actually arguably maybe the topic that's talked about most in the Bible. There are over 2,000 verses that talk about personal finance. 2,000 verses that talk about personal finance. So it's good that we do this. And actually, while well, I'll mention this a little bit later, over 200 of them are found in the book of Proverbs, which is why we're in the middle of this sermon series on, the past, on Proverbs. Pastor Brian kicked us off a few weeks ago when he talked about God's guidance. Um, he shared again about God's heart uh, for us and his plans. Matt Wilt shared about like, what happens inside of our hearts. And today we're focusing on, as I mentioned, finances. And we're going to see how God is the one who provides our finances and gives us guidance on how to manage them. And we're going to say, well, what is this guidance that God gives in his Bible? So ironically, I spoke a few weeks back about something called emotional intelligence. And I said that emotional intelligence is something that we can grow and develop in. So our natural intellect, we have a limited, you know, we all have the same amount of that that's been given to us. Um, maybe it varies by person, but you can't really grow your IQ. But I mentioned your EQ is something you can grow in. And what's fun is, and exciting is that our financial intelligence or our ability to manage our finances is also something we can grow and learn in. We can get better at it. Now, unfortunately, we also get worse at it. And so I don't want to encourage that here this morning, but I do want to give you some tips and tricks on how to get better at finances. So I'll be continuing that. Uh, so what I want you to do is turn with me um, to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at um, Proverbs chapter 3. But before we go there, I have some exciting news to share. Next week, Scott Mannon is going to be continuing our series, and he's going to talk about the power of words. So we've talked about all kinds of topics. Today is about the power of finances. But before I dive in and we start in chapter 3 of Proverbs, I want to ask a weird question. So, and I want you maybe, if you have an opportunity, if somebody's nearby enough to, you can share the answer. I know we're a little spread out here this morning. But imagine you're in the middle of a dream, just like this guy here, okay? You're in the middle of a dream, and God wakes you up, and he says, you can have anything you want. Pick one thing, and I will give it to you. Pick one thing, and I will give it to you. What would you ask for? Money? A long life? Prominence? What is it that if you could just have one thing, you could get it? So that actually happened to a man in the Bible. I mean, you get, some of you are thinking, what is this, like Aladdin and a genie? No, no, that's not how it worked. God actually appeared to Solomon, who was the son of King David. Solomon was the king at the time in 1 first, first Kings chapter 3, and he seriously said to him in a dream, ask for whatever you want me to give you, and I will do it. So Solomon woke up, and he asked God for a discerning, wise heart. He asked for wisdom, and that's what God gave him. Because Solomon didn't ask for money, power, fame, and instead asked for wisdom, ironically, God gave him all those things. He gave him wealth, he gave him honor, he gave him fame. And it kind of demonstrates to us a key idea that we have here for today, and that is wisdom always is needed for wealth. It's a prerequisite. So if you don't have wisdom from God, which Solomon asked for, you're never going to be able to manage your finances well. So as we seek to get smart about our finances, we're going to first look to God and his word for wisdom about finances. And as I mentioned, over those 2,000 verses, about 200 of them written by Solomon himself, inspired by God in the book of Proverbs. And we'll look at a subset of them. So I mentioned turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. And the first big idea that we're going to get across here is, is that God wants us to be stewards. He is the one who's given us abilities and time to earn our money, and that we are the stewards of our personal finances, not the owners. 
We're the stewards of God's money. So basically, he has intention for us is to honor him with our finances. So we read along with me in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now this idea of honoring that you see in there, this honoring God with the wealth, actually Solomon is going to use a word that he actually learned when he was growing up. So when Solomon was growing up, his father, King David, taught him something that many of us heard of called, called the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments talks about honoring. And what it says is honor your mother and father. Okay, so it will go well with you. So the same concept of honor, Solomon's going to now bring into saying honoring God, and in this case, with our money. So the same way we want to honor our parents and how we live, so things will go well with us, here Solomon is encouraging us to honor God with our money. And the way he describes it is like, well, how do I do that? So he says, with the first fruits of all your crops. So um, do we have any farmers here? Anybody who's currently farming? Gardeners? Do we have any gardeners? Okay. Yes, okay, we have a few gardeners, okay, but farming is really, this, we're not really in much of an agricultural society. Now, Pennsylvania happens to be one of the states that feeds itself. America happens to be one of the countries that feeds itself in the world. But, you know, this area in Willow Grove, we don't, not very few people in our church are farmers, okay? Uh, maybe if we head out to Lancaster County, we'd see some farmers. So this idea of first fruits is kind of new to us. But in the time of Solomon, it was an agricultural-based society, and most people were using, basically, farming to, to create their needs, and this idea of first fruits was the, basically the first crops that came up, you would kind of sort through them. Okay, you see, okay, look, some things came up, we can start to eat them. And then even among them, they were the best things that were there. Kind of, you, you kind of picked through that. Um, how many people go to your local grocery store and pick through the produce to pick the ones you like? Okay, is anybody buying bruised tomatoes, right? Like, no, blueberries that look a little off, things that, you know... In fact, uh, my wife is very skilled in this. She knows how to pick the best watermelon, if you want to ask her. There's ways to sniff a cantaloupe. So when I'm at Aldi or Walmart, I have to call her and ask. She's like, okay, make sure you get a certain... So there's a way that we kind of examine fruits and vegetables to say if they're good for us and we think we're getting the best one. So the same concept here as it applies to our finances is that God wants us to basically look at the money that we get in in a given month or usually some of us get paid maybe once a week, every other week, once a month. And when that money comes in, to be able to set that aside for him, honor him. It's the very best of something. So now what's interesting is, is this concept of fruits and vegetables. Uh, there's actually something that's just come up in America as a recent phenomenon. It's called imperfect foods. So how many people have ever... So basically you can buy foods that are just a little quirky, okay? They, they look a little bit different. They have some cosmetic quirks. They have irregular sizes, or they're just surplus. So why do we want imperfect food? Well, the reason why we want imperfect food is we kind of think it's good enough, but it's lower price. So we can get more of the funny-looking tomatoes or funny-looking carrots, right? So we're willing to do that, but realistically, if all of the foods were free, we would want the best ones, wouldn't we? That's what we want. Like, I want the biggest whatever, or the nicest or juiciest, whatever. And so that's the idea. So what happens is, is that in Solomon's time, what was happening, people were giving their imperfect foods to God. Basically, they were saying, well, you know, this one's okay. I'll, I'll give that to God. And I'll keep the good one for myself. And so the idea here is honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. And then it has a promise that goes with that. And then your barns will be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, this idea of overflowing or brimming over 
is actually one that just kind of, just like you think about it, it's something that you can't even fit it all in. Um, you can't even push it down. I mean, many of us are for, I don't know, had anybody gone like apple picking or strawberry picking or blueberry picking and then they say, okay, all you can fit in this box, right? So many of us, we, we pretty much, we, we try to hold it as much as we can even, okay, it's all I can fit in the box, right? That, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what he's talking about here when he talks about brimming over, overflowing. He's like, all you can fit in there because if you take care of God and the needs that he has and you give your first fruits to him, he's going to give you stuff that's just overflowing and brimming over. That's the idea here. So this main idea is we're stewards of our finances, not the owners. What we own is not truly ours. God gives it to us, but his desire is for us to give it first back to him. So this, this last verse explains just the last part of the verse just explains how when we honor him, he gives us an abundance so we have all we need for our lives and even more. Now what's great is these themes that you see in the scriptures are ones that keep going on. And so you'll see Solomon had some ideas on this. It actually goes back to Genesis. Solomon, I'd like to bring us forward in time to Jesus. And Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here Jesus is reemphasizing what Solomon had mentioned, which is basically you can't outgive God. Give to him first, give him your best, and he'll give you back more than you'll ever need. So that's the first idea we have with our finances. The second one is he wants us to be content with what we have. Now, contentment is a weird word, right? Um, contentment is kind of like some of us, how many of you grew up in a home where like, uh, this is what you get and don't get what? Upset, right? Like, this is it. Like, this is your lot. Like, stop complaining. Mom and dad decide what goes on, right? So we have these family of origin things where contentment is defined for us a little bit differently. That's not really how it works. Now, once we become adults, we decide what contentment is. Those of you who are maybe teenagers in the audience, you're still frustrated about maybe what your parents think contentment should be for you, and we have sympathy for that situation, right? But the reality is, is that contentment comes from an understanding and accepting of something. Understanding something and accepting it. In this case, it's what God's given you that you understand and accept it. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. If you want to turn it on, the, it'll be on the screen. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. That's a little bit of a tricky verse to kind of get your hand around. But when he says better a little with righteousness, what he's saying is it's better to have less amount of money that was gotten in an honest, hardworking way than a vast amount of money that you got through really oppression or hoarding. It encourages us to ask the question, in, embedded in this question, in this verse, is a question that I want us to think about as it relates to contentment. And that question is, how much money is enough? As we pursue more and more money, acquiring it often becomes our goal, and how much of it we have, kind of we connect with even our personal worth. And so I want to ask the question, how much money is enough? How much money is enough for you each month? How much money is enough maybe for your next car? How much money is enough for the house you want to buy? Those of us who are a little further along, how much money is enough for retirement? We regularly begin to ask ourselves the question, how much money is enough? So I want to tell an interesting story. Um, there was a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island and uh, by uh, the, the late Kurt Vonnegut informed of his pal who was there um, Joseph Heller, he was this billionaire, he was a hedge funds manager, and he explained to Kirk Vonnegut that he had made more money in a single day 
than Vonnegut had made over entire his life, right? So Vonnegut basically said, well, there's something that I have that you don't have. And he said, that is enough. So Vonnegut understood what it meant to feel like he had enough. And that's actually the hard question for us. How much is enough? I mean, my answer sometimes is just a little bit more, right? Just a little bit more than what I have right now. Because being content is hard. And staying content as you earn a little bit more money is harder still. I want to remind us that the Bible never condemns wealth and acquiring wealth, but it does warn about the danger of how it becomes an idol in our hearts. And in that verse, it denounced kind of some of the behaviors that we might be tempted to do to even get a little bit more. And Jesus, looking forward to what Jesus says in, in, John, oh, sorry, in Luke 12, 15, he reemphasizes what, what Solomon had said. He says, watch out. Be in your guard against all kinds of greeds. Why? Because life does not consist of abundance of possessions. So God wants us to have wealth, but he doesn't want us to place our security and satisfaction in our wealth. His desire is he wants us to be content with what we have. And that's hard. That's hard. So one of the ways that we do that is God wants us to keep track of things. So the third idea here is that God wants us to know where and how our money is being spent. Um, now this, I have a little theory here. I actually think that God invented accounting. He's the one who designed the idea for us to have good record keeping and the money that he entrusted us. And I actually believe that God gives each of us what I would consider a money test. Basically where he gives us resources and he wants us to give an accounting of how we're using them. And we see this. Now this, this verse, again, we're going back to the agricultural society uh, that Solomon was living in. Proverbs 27, 23 and 24, it says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches does not endure forever. So do we have any chicken farmers here or cow farmers or dairy farmers? I don't think so. We're here in Willow Grove. We have very limited uh, amount of farms. So here, and that's just like in our time, that Solomon's time, they didn't use money the way you, we use money. They would trade livestock for what they needed. And like our money obviously comes in the form of bills or apps or cards. Their money was in the form of flocks and herds. And in this verse, you'll see that basically, be sure to know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. So the idea is keep track of how many you had. Um, you might remember Jesus tells the proverb about the man who has the sheep and he has 100 of them. He knows when one is missing. And he goes after the missing one. So this concept of keeping track is really about keeping the condition of your finances or keeping good records. Do we have any people who like to make lists here? Do we have any list makers? Yes, lists? Shopping lists, right? Packing lists, right? God designed that desire to make lists, and he actually brought it in the same account when it comes down to our money. He has a desire for us to keep track of the condition or state of our finances, to know where you stand, where you're at with your money at every, any point in time. So tracking our spending on a regular basis is a way that we keep an accurate picture of where our money's going. So if I ask you a question, how much did you spend on food last month? You may or may not know that answer. How much did you spend on gas last month? Um, most of us may know how much we paid for our mortgage, uh, maybe for our car insurance, uh, but those are relatively fixed expenses. But if you ask you kind of these variable things that go up and down, how much did we spend on clothing? How much did we spend on maybe going out to eat? Um, we may not know that. And so God's desire is for us to keep track of those things. And so one of the ways that we can do that is using something called an expense sheet. So an expense sheet is just where you track what you spend. 
After you write, if you write it, you have, a, have an app or you write it down, and then you begin to learn things about yourself. So if you track your, your expenses, it'd be funny some of the things you might learn. Um, for example, you might learn that you like shoes and that you've bought three pairs of shoes this month, um, even though you already have 37 of them. Or you may say, okay, I really like coffee, right? And I've bought coffee every day. And I've now bought 31 cups of coffee this at $5, and I spent $150 this month on coffee. Um, I really like coffee. I, and, or you may see other things. You may see good things. You're like, oh my goodness, this month, maybe you know, I decided to, I don't know, drink more water. And so the amount of money that you spent on going out to eat, you normally spend $100 a month going out to eat, and you spent $80 because instead of getting a Coke, you got a, a water. So you're able to see through your spending, gives you a picture of things that are going on. And it'll also kind of let you know maybe some ways that you're tempted or that you're being led astray. Um, and what it does is it allows us to know, like to look back over that month to see what was happening and to see we've had a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit allows us to have wisdom to know what to do in each circumstance. And also Holy Spirit will give us, as we keep in step with him, wisdom to know what to do with our money. So I recommend keeping an expense sheet. Um, if you want to go back one slide there, Sandy, thanks. Um, this expense sheet, you can use any format you want. Uh, like I said, there's apps that are out there for you to use. You can use a, just a sheet of paper. There's no format that God prescribes, but what he does says is it's a really good idea to keep track of our money habits and look across all the different things. Now, these days, you know, you have like a bank account, you have like different apps you use to spend money on, you have credit cards, but there are apps out there that consolidate those things together, make it easier for you. Um, this whole idea of God wants us to keep track of our money is something that he wants us to apply in our everyday life. And I just want to make a little plug. Brian mentioned uh, when, during his pastoral prayer that we actually keep track of our church's expenses the same way every month. We have a, a sheet that comes out that lets us know the expenditures that the church had, and then we'll, I'll talk about our next topic here in a second and, and kind of where things went. So it allows us as both as a church to know kind of the money that came in and where it spent. Do we have to make adjustments? maybe cut back a little bit, or, or maybe we're gonna spend money on a new curriculum, as Star said. So this idea of keeping track of our money is something that God designed, and it isn't just some sort of you know, secular financial idea, it's something that God had in mind from the beginning. In fact, who remembers Adam back in Genesis chapter one and two? What was his first job? What did God give him to do? Yeah, keep track of all the animals, right? Like, so like this idea of like keeping track of the herds and their condition, that was his first job. So his job is to keep track of the inventory of resources that God had given him. He had no currency, he had no money, he had no apps, he had no Venmo or whatever at that time. But the idea was is this idea that God's give us resources for us to keep track of them over time is really his desire. And then the second thing that goes along with this, and I mentioned, is the idea that God wants to know where and how we plan to spend our money. He wants us to know that. Money just doesn't spend itself. It just doesn't flow around, right? Um, how many people, before you go on vacation, know where you're going to go, right? You, you make a plan, right? You're going to go, where, where, when am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Where we're going to stay? Where we're going to maybe eat out? Some, there's some fluidity to that. And so before we go on vacation, we kind of make a plan. Uh, before we go on holidays, decide where we're going to go for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, we make a plan. So this idea of plans, and we, we move that together with money, that's really what God's desire is. He's the one who invented, I would say, God invented budgeting. So this idea of a budget, I know for some of you, is, is really painful and maybe awkward, and, but I would say it's this idea of having a plan for your money is really what God desired from the beginning. 
And so let me, we'll read a verse from Proverbs that gives us some, some insight in that. It's Proverbs 21, verse 5. And it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to pro- poverty. Now we're set here to be wise. So this idea of plans is kind of come up with a, like, what's my purpose? What do I want to do? And what do I want to do it on? And then this idea of the diligence is kind of working that plan. So having a plan for our money in our culture today, we call it a budget. And our budget is us telling our money where we want it to go rather than wondering where it went. So we need to develop a God-driven plan for our money that we have. But here's what's interesting is you can't really know where you want to spend your money, particularly if you want to honor God with it, if you don't know who God is. So there may be people here today who say, wow, these are interesting financial insights, but you keep lacing God and who he is into all this because you first need to know him personally, and then once you know him personally, you can ask him what his plans are for your finances. So if you've never taken that opportunity to get to know him, you can't really have a plan for your money until you know the person who made you and who gave you all these resources in your life. So we encourage you to do that. Back to a budget. A budget is just a plan for how you want to spend your money in that given month. And then what's nice is now when you have your expense sheet and your budget, you can kind of compare them to see, how did I do? Did I spend my money the way that I planned to spend my money? And there's times where if you say you're overspent, you're like, "Mm, maybe I need to cut back. If I spend too little, maybe I want to put money into savings or pay down some of my debt. Either way, what you can learn from these things is kind of things that go on in your life. So it's this living document that you recognize what you're overspending and underspending against any given category and helps you determine what to do next. But it doesn't come easy, right? It sounds a little, like a little bit of hard work. And I have to confess that it is. And Proverbs 10.4 kind of reinforces this idea. It says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And so this does take a little bit of effort. Um, but that's where God's spirit and God gives us the desire and discipline to do that. The last idea I just want to bring up with you here this morning is, is that God wants us to be generous with our finances. I just want to ask you a weird question. Um, how do you feel when you give money to somebody who needs it? Particularly a legitimate need that's been brought to your attention. Um, it's fascinating the way that that works, right? Um, God has created us to be generous people because he's generous. He said he gave his only son for us. So he was generous and gave all he had for us so we could have a relationship with him. And his desire is for us to share what we have with others who have a legitimate need. Again, we see, we'll turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 explain this a little bit. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains more. Another one withholds unduly, but comes to pro- poverty. A generous person will prosper, Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So giving to someone with a legitimate need is like an investment in something that matters. Another verse I just want to highlight is from Proverbs 19:17. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. So the idea there is when you lend to someone in need, you're actually, God says it's, he's accepting it as it was a loan to him himself. So I want you to think now about the most wealthy person you know in your life. Person who has the most money that you know personally. Like, by far the most money, okay? I want you to think about them for a second and kind of how they live their life. Now I want you to think about the most richest people you've ever even read about or heard about. People who are very, like, let's say it's Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or other people like that. 
What, when people get to kind of a Bill Gates, Warren Buffett level, what do they start doing with their money? They give it away, right? Why? Why do very, very rich people not keep all of their money for themselves? Because they realize is that giving is something that really matters more than acquiring. So God desires to increase our wealth, not just to provide for ourselves and our family, but so we can be more generous with others and use our finance. And then we don't have to be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett as rich as they are. The bottom line is God continues to give us more so we can have the ability to be givers and to be generous with what we have. And I want to attest to that in my own life. Um, we have a few people who are a little older in the audience, so let's just see if we can find out, um, and I'm not trying to pick on the, those who are more senior, but let's see if we can find the, like for example, right now, my son just recently took a job with the township. He's a part-time, he's only 15 years old. He's getting paid, I got his permission to share this with you, $12 an hour, okay? What I'd like to do is, those of you who are a little older, well, how, what's the least amount of money you worked for an hour? Just call out. We have a dollar an hour. Was that Patty, Bender? Patty in the back? Chris? Yeah, I, I worked, my lowest I ever worked for was three thirty-five an hour, okay? Right? So like a dollar an hour, some people maybe were $2 an hour, $5 an hour, maybe $7 an hour. Like, when we did that, right, now we're making more money, right? As God has given us the opportunity to make, Chris, I know you're not making about a dollar an hour now, right? So, <laughs> right? So God has blessed you. God has blessed me. God has blessed many of us. And why has he given us more resources? It's not just to make our lives more content and satisfied. He's given us more resources because he wants us to be givers. He wants us to be generous. So that's the way that he's designed things. As we can live simply, it allows us to give more generously. In fact, I want to encourage you, there's a practice that Phyllis and I found very useful. In addition to setting aside money that we give to church and other places, we've also begun to set up what I call a special gift fund set aside some additional resources that we get each month. And so when a need comes to us that's maybe unplanned from somebody we don't know, whether it's family, friends, someone in the church, we're able to have that money already earmarked for them. So I'm not here to tout that as something that we do that's special about us. I'm just letting you know as a tool, so that way as you think about your finances, not just the money that you get in, the money that you spend, the money that you save, but also money that you have set aside to give. So as we come to the end here, I just want to ask a question. Um, does money control you or do you control your money? Does money create stress for you or does it create joy because you can use it as a tool to be generous to others? Where are you at with your finances? What is God doing and stirring up inside your heart right now? Um, finances is not designed to be stressful. It's not designed to create anxiety. God gave us money and he trusted it with us and he wants us to apply his principles to it to be good stewards. Giving first to him, tracking our spending so we can ensure we're spending on things we plan to, planning on where we spend our money, and all this diligence is so we're spending less so we can make ourselves be able to be more generous to others. As we are generous to others, it just gives us an opportunity to be like him in the way that we live. So let's pray. Dear God, we know that you don't want us to be stressed out about money all the time. We believe that you've given us all the resources we have and a desire to be faithful stewards and manage it well. Please help us to do that. Please help us in the areas of our personal finance where we're struggling and need to surrender to you. Please give us the strength not to do so much in our own control, but to trust you more for the providing of all of our needs. Thank you for the many blessings you've given us and the provision we have. In your name, amen.